Uh, Luke chapter 14 is where I'd like you to turn this morning in your Bibles. And the good news is, by my clock up here, it's only 1040, so it really is. Luke chapter 14, uh, verse 16, let's begin reading. And, and by the way, just so you know, I'm not going to preach my whole sermon, okay? I'll, I'm gonna, I'll just probably cover on two points, and then uh, we'll come back to this theme, because it's one that God has just uh, laid upon my heart through the trip on the topic of Christ following and cost counting, uh, what that's going to look like in our lives. So I just want to encourage you to be more devoted to Christ tomorrow than you are today. That's my desire. Luke 14, verse 16, Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all like began to make excuses. The first said, you know, I just bought a field and I must go and see it, so please excuse me. Another said, I have bought a yoke of oxen, which today isn't really exciting, but I guess that's like a Ferrari, okay? Or a Ford tractor, all right? John Deere four-wheel drive, eight-tire tractor, okay? And I am on my way to drive it. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, preoccupied, marital love, newlyweds, no time to serve. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. So the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there is still room. The master then told his servant, go out into the roads and the country lanes, make them come in, compel them, give them a summons so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Large crowds were following Jesus. And turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, this is hard, his wife and his children, his brothers and his sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate or calculate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is unable to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build a tower and wasn't able to finish it. Or suppose a king is about to go out to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000. If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace in the same way. Any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot follow me or be my disciple. I was challenged deeply on my trip by people whose level of commitment caused me to wonder if I even know what commitment is. And sometimes you say, okay, they're in a different league than I'm in. And as R.C. Sproul once said, maybe they're just playing a different game than I'm playing. Maybe it's just a completely different thing than what I've understood or thought it to be. As Jesus ministered, the Bible tells that 
us that because of his healing power and capacities, because of his remarkable teaching skills, captivating miracles, verse 25 says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. But he knew something about crowds. This is true in every church. In every church in America, you can break it down into approximately four groups. In every culture, in every community, and in every church, you will find this in regards to Christ. You will find a large crowd of people defined as curious. You'll find on Sunday morning a congregation, people who would say, this is my church. It's the place I attend, and if, or if I'm going to church, that's where I would go. I have sometimes people say it to me out on the street, I'll meet them, and say, oh, I, I, I go to your church. I don't remember seeing you. No, I came one time. You're, that's my church. So, okay, you're like part of the congregation. You, you like to come and kind of spectate, watch what's happening, but not engage in kingdom building. And in every church, there is a congregation. In every church, there's also a group called the committed. And by the way, I don't come up with all these things. These are things that float around out in, in thinking about church life. There are those that are committed. They have trusted Christ and are devoted to faithful attendance and probably at some level take up part of the burden or responsibility for what it means to be a church. But then within every committed group, there's another group that we refer to as the core of your church. And every church has these layers that make it up. My desire is this. God, how do I help people in our church family move from the crowd to the congregation to the committed? That is a relationship with Christ, professed by baptism, public baptism, that I am on the page with Christ, to becoming a core part of the church. When I say core, here's what I mean. Someone that if they were missing, it would affect the function of that church. And let me say this. I do not mean by saying that Sunday morning. Okay, I mean, they would affect the health of that body because they are committed to vital relationships where they are sharing their life in Christ with others. They don't spectate. They take on personal responsibility for the health and well-being of their church ministry. They are not the people that come with complaints about how things should be done. They're the people that come with ideas about how things can be better. They're not embittered. They're impassioned. They know the church isn't anyone's property. It belongs to Christ. It is the body of Christ. And they believe that they should actually make a difference. That they should actually care in a devoted way for the lives and needs of others in their church fellowship and in their community as a means of spreading the kingdom of God. They're devoted. And when they're not there, you miss them. When they call you on the phone and say, I got a job transfer, you're like, you didn't ask me. My opinion I want you to stay here. There are families that come, and when they go, you, you get a hole. You know it. There are things that aren't happening in the body of Christ because they're missing, because they were committed. They took seriously what it meant to be a Christian, which is not simply a fire escape out of hell. It's a full life. It's eternal life. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Life forever. Yes. But what he wants us to experience here and now is an abundant life that is characterized by vital relationships, interdependent relationships, where we serve and love each other, 
And so here's the question that comes to my mind. Why is it that often in many churches, and I I didn't even think about our church in this way because I don't in any way want to be negative and critical. But why is it that in many cases, a majority of people sit in congregation and crowd or are committed but aren't seeking to say, how can I become? And I don't mean sign up for worship team, sign up for Sunday school class, sign up for nursery. I'm not talking about that. You can get positions filled. And I am deeply grateful and indebted to those of you in our church that sign up for those things and say, I want God to use my life. And you're doing it. God knows your heart. God knows your heart and why you do what you do. He sees the tears that you cry. He sees the sacrifice. He sees the time that Don and Sandy Wagner spend driving here Thursday night, Sunday morning, and spend hours here for any of it. He sees that kind of stuff. Time the worship team puts in getting ready, that Carmel puts in or Jillian puts in getting worship sets together. He sees that stuff. He sees Sunday school teachers sitting at home devoted to knowing that I want to communicate the word of God to the next generation of my church. He sees all that. And that stuff is critical to what it means on Sunday morning. But there, is, there are the other six and a half days that we have to live. And my question is, how do we move from this peripheral involvement in Christ into a realm of core, committed, vital, like I need this in my life. I know that God wants to use me to serve others and use others to build me up and make me the man of God that he wants me to be so that I stop living in isolation, living my Christian life on my own. It is not the design of God. And so when I read this passage of Scripture, I didn't know on my way home what I was going to preach on when I was flying back from Indonesia. And just this idea of cost counting and what is it going to take for people in America to move from a life of preoccupation with us and ours to a life that is about, in a substantial way, sacrificially meeting the needs of others in a way that actually requires some level of commitment, some part of my time in being Christ in the lives of those around me. Jesus had large crowds. He had a few devoted disciples. His calling to the crowd in this passage of Scripture, in this discourse, is move from the crowd to the core. Get involved in a congregation. Get involved in a committed relationship with Christ and your brothers and sisters. And move to the core where you believe that your life is essential to the health of your church. And I don't mean the Sunday morning, I mean the relationships, the cultivating, the discipling, the developing, where we live life on life and actually make a difference in one another's lives. What you will find as you study the life of Christ, particularly John chapter 6, Luke chapter uh, 14, you will find that Jesus occasionally just kind of, he just like lays down the gauntlet. He, he just cuts things back. John chapter 6, it says from that time, after he spoke the hard words of receiving the bread of Christ and the, the wine that symbolized the blood of Christ, that level of sacrifice, saying, Lord, I receive that and will do it. When they understood what taking communion meant, you know what happened? Here's what the Bible says. From that time, many followed him no more. They would not move to the core. And here is a question that hangs in my mind as a pastor. Are people that are in the, congreg- in the crowd and in the congregation who make a profession, are they, are they genuinely converted? Is there spiritual life? Is there a compelling desire to say, I want to be part of what God made me part of by new birth? See, he births us into a family. 
And there are obligations in the context of family. There are relationships that I'm responsible to maintain. I called my mom when I got home from Indonesia because I forgot to call her when I left. She didn't even know I was going away. I don't apologize to my mom. Sorry. She said, I, you do that kind of stuff all the time. So she forgives me like you forgive me. <laughs> Forget. Okay, but I, when I thought of it, I was like, no, I have an obligation. That's my mom. That's the woman that gave me birth. She loves me probably more than any other person apart from my wife on the planet. And there's an obligation relationship. My question is, if I don't feel the compulsion to move to the center, to be devoted, to love, to be part of the living body of Christ, then I think I may need to ask myself, have I responded to the invitation to the dinner? Because what this text tells me is that those that don't move towards devotion, that don't demonstrate some type of lifelong commitment to the cause of Christ, should not have confidence about their relationship with Christ. I think that's the clear implication when you read verse 23. Then the master told a servant, go out uh, into the roads and the country lanes. Make them come in so that my house will be full. Because that is the sovereign summons of God. His house in eternity will be full of redeemed people. That's his goal. Our job is to go find them and invite them to come in. We're these servants. He says, I tell you, not one of those who were invited and didn't come will get a taste of my banquet. And the implication seems to be this. They had some type of relationship with the master, got preoccupied, and I'm going to say that it is a kind of a starting relationship with the master. They were aware of who he was. They knew what he required. But when the call for committed discipleship came, they came up with excuse after excuse for why they couldn't come, why they couldn't engage in the true life of followers of Christ. I find that fascinating. And of those that didn't respond, Jesus says, I tell you, they will not eat at that table. That, I read that, I was like, that's hard. And it gets harder. And I'll get into some of the harder stuff next week. What does the call to follow Christ require? What are the, and I'm just going to give you four words that I think they describe, they characterize the call to discipleship. They, they help you to understand what's involved. If I'm going to move from this peripheral Christian living to a devoted Christian life in the power of the Spirit for the glory of God, what will that look like in my life? Okay, and the first word that I think helps me to understand characteristics of this cost counting is this. I, I, the word is, it is not convenient. It is inconvenient to follow Christ. They received the call. They got better things to do. The inconvenience of obeying and following Christ and living the Christ life is not appealing for some reason. And the, the new John Deere tractor is more appealing in the story. The new marriage relationship is more appealing than a fully devoted life to the glory of God and Christ. I understand that struggle. I understand the wrestling with the possessions and wanting the new John Deere tractor. Because I have an old one. Okay, I'd love a new John Deere tractor. I might drive past my house on Sunday morning see me mowing my grass instead of being at church. Okay? That stuff has an appeal. Many of us are living for those things and we don't even know it. But the shelter is in Christ. The shelter isn't in things as we sung. You are settling for something that can't produce satisfaction in your life if you don't respond to the call of Christ to move to the center. A fully devoted, 
full-orbed Christian life that involves vital relationships in which I input into the life of others and I receive life in the Spirit from others by the gifts of the Spirit. You are missing the joy of the Christian life if that is not your personal experience. You say, Pastor Tim, what's it going to take? Well, I think what it's going to take is a willingness to inconvenience myself to serve others to give of my time, to adjust my schedule so that I can be here on time on Sunday morning, to participate, to take time to get involved in a small group, discipleship, fellowship group, because that's part, those relationships are part of what it is to be in Christ. Discipling people, you know, at, at your local store, at the local Dunkin' Donuts, wherever you're going, to be Christ. Look for opportunities to make a difference. Inconvenience yourself. Stop and help someone who has a need. Let your life be adjusted by the call of Christ. Let his life take supremacy, his call take supremacy over and in and through your life. I think the idea of this text, uh, of the three people that give excuses, you know, uh, I just bought a field, I just bought some oxen, I just got married. Those three excuses are coming from people who assume that a better opportunity and a better season in life to serve Christ is going to come one day. Now be honest with me. Have you ever felt that way? Well, you know what? We just had a baby. I remember those days. You know what I thank God for? I thank God for a wife that never complained. We were driving back and forth up here from Harleysville, Pennsylvania for a year and a half. Had two babies in that time frame. There definitely could have been a better season for that. If you ask my wife, she's going to say, yeah better timing. I mean, your husband's Tim Hoff, you just got to kind of go with the flow, right? But without complaint, saying, you know what? There aren't seasons in your life when it's better to serve Christ. It's not the Christian experience. I was talking to a lady in my office yesterday. A friend was there, another lady had stopped by. And I said there, she, she's into athletics and exercise and that kind of stuff. I said, do you realize the opportunity God has given you? There are ladies out there that respect you because you're physically fit and you work hard at that and they they want to encounter you. You have young kids. You have a sphere of influence in your life that my wife and I no longer have. And I know that we're old. Okay, like I'm aware that when young people visit our church, I'm not appealing to them anymore. Okay, I know that. I know that I don't relate to the young families like I used to. Those young families need to be reached. So the people who have young kids should not kick it into neutral. And say, you know what, a better season's coming. Well, I just had some kids, Lord. When the kids are raised, when they are easier to wake up on Sunday, no, why don't you inconvenience your life a little bit? Because that's the nature of family. Moms do this every night with a little infant in the house, don't they? The baby's crying. Well, I don't want to inconvenience myself, so I'll stay in bed. You don't even think about doing, well, you nudge your husband and ask him to go do it. Okay, but you, don't, you don't think in that way. You say, you know what, that is my God-given obligation to that child. It's not, there's not a better season to get up early and do that. That's the season. And we need to realize that, you know, we get people in our church are going to get married soon. Start serving Christ at the beginning because if you don't, one day you're going to be looking at retirement saying, well, when I get there, then I will. But then you will be way too self-absorbed to serve Christ because you will be addicted to a shelter that is going to fade away. The idol of your life will be the things that you have pursued in lieu of seeking Christ. My challenge to you is this. It's always inconvenient to serve Christ because it's always costly to serve Christ. There's never a good time for pain. There's never a good time for struggle. We avoid it like the plague. But God wants to use it. 
in your season. Whatever it is, God has given you an affinity-based group, people that have a similar circumstance to yours. You can speak into their life. I'm starting to think about the AARP crowd, okay? My new affinity group. Okay? I'm resisting it by trying to work with the junior high kids. I'm not cutting it, but it's working for them so far, okay? But it's not the season of my life when I want to do that. But guess what? There's a need. Someone should do something about it. Oh, when I get... You know what? If that's the way you're thinking, you will never follow Christ. And if you don't have a compulsion, a passion to serve him, I think you need to ask yourself, am I really converted? Because I don't think a true convert can sit on the river and be in the crowd. And I don't think they'll be satisfied in the congregation. I think they're going to feel like, you know what? I need to move towards the center. I need to be more fully devoted. I need to be more of a core-based Christian. And I am not talking about just building this church either. I'm talking about a full-orbed Christian life that is characterized in discipleship by inconvenience. Where we realize that just because I'm starting a new job doesn't mean I get to step away from my relationship with Christ and from my obligations to the body of Christ. Brent, in how many months? You're going to start a new career, right? You're going to go be a physical therapist, Lord willing, if you pass the boards. Okay? So the challenge to Brent Raider is what? Well, you're going to be busy. You just get married. Okay? You get a lovely wife you want to take care of. So that's a bad season to serve Christ. So what you should say is, I'm just going to take a break for a year or two. And then when things settle down, I'll serve Christ. And then you're going to have a baby. That's not a word of prophecy either. Okay? <laughs> and then you and your wife are going to be saying, oh, you know, it's busy with the baby and they're up all, up all night. And I, you can excuse your life away, folks. I'm just telling you. By his grace, God has put into my life some people that, are, that have been models for me who are devoted to the cause. Randy Cole is one of them. Some of you remember him from when he was here. He just became the uh, president of Asian Partners, the international mission board that I'm on the board with. Uh, he left, I am sure. He just took a job for $50,000 to become the board of Asian Partners because that's all we could afford. In fact, he made it easy on us because I was thinking, holy cow, what do you offer someone like that? Talking to you know, different board members. Because Victor wanted to invite him to join the board and be the president. He came to us and said, I'll settle. Just if you can pay me $50,000, that will meet my expenses. And you know what Randy Cole is? He's a happy man. He's content in Christ. He believes that his gifts are for the glory of God. And he stepped out of a career and is going to serve God full-time doing missions. And if you ask him, he's like, life couldn't be any better. It's what he's wanted to do. And God now has opened the door. And the opportunity is there. Folks, if you wait for the perfect season in life to serve Christ, it'll never come. There will never be a time in your life when being a fully devoted follower is convenient and easy. And it just, you know, it just comes so naturally to sacrifice and serve others. It never will. It never will. So if your tendency is to make excuses, you need to go to God and say, God, it's time. It's time for me to get involved in relationships. It's time for me to step up and be a core, committed, devoted follower of Christ who is going to seek to move from the perimeter to the center of God's purpose and calling for your life. All the other things are idols, folks. Okay, all the vain pursuits, all the money, all the retirement plans, they are, if they are not filled with the purposes of Christ, if they are not seasons in which you plan to serve Christ, you will get there and be frustrated because the idols that you have erected cannot take the place of living for the glory of God.
They can't. They can't. That's why Jesus said, have no other gods before me. Put me central in your life. So to follow Christ is going to require some level of inconvenience because the devotion that Jesus Christ calls for is not an intermittent devotion. He calls for a lifelong devotion. That means that every season of my life presents new and unique opportunities. And this is the thing I think that most people forget. They don't realize that that season when you're busy like crazy with babies, there are other moms out there that would love to talk to someone who knows what they're going through. They don't want to talk to my wife anymore about that stuff. Right? Because they look at her, she's on the easy street now. See, the kids are pretty much raised and things are relaxing in that regard. And you're grateful for that. But the, the, the mom who's struggling, the dad who's starting the career, and another dad who's starting his career, they can minister to each other. You can reach those people with the gospel of Christ. In your college setting, you can reach people because you're having the same struggles they're having. Young singles, there's a big affinity group out there. It is enormous in America today. That affinity group that is looking for vital testimonies of Jesus Christ. It, whatever season you're in, it is God's design that in that season you would serve Him with full devotion. That's what He wants from your life. Christ following will always mean tolerating some level of discomfort in my life. Serving Christ will always produce at some level discomfort. Are you ready for that? Are you willing to live with that? Because here's what Christ did for you. He tolerated the supreme inconvenience of a cross so that you could be part of his kingdom. And he calls you to join him on the road. You know what he says to his disciples? Peter, Philip, James, John, they're out fishing, right? And when he comes in, he says, hey, follow me. Supreme inconvenience. You know what they had to do? The Bible says they left their father behind. They left their nets. And they followed him. Oh, because it was convenient. No, no. It was a supreme inconvenience. But they got to see the glory of Christ. Because, they, you know, hey, later, when we get a little more established, get the business under our belt, then, then, then. It'll never happen. Unless you're willing to experience inconvenience to be the person that God wants you to be. Let's bow our heads together in prayer this morning.